All right, guys, welcome back to another podcast. Uh, today, hopefully, we'll become one of many staff spotlights as we start to move through employees within our organization. As it so happens today, we're going to be going through with Dr. Katie Nixich. Uh, so stay tuned. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, so we're going to do a little bit of a spotlight on Dr. Katie. I know we've uh, kind of introduced some of the parts that potentially would be repetitive in your clinical history and sure. obviously us making fun of you with your behavioral profile and all that sort yes. of fun stuff. Yes. But uh, just wanted to kind of give everyone a little bit of a glimpse into basically how you got to this point and kind of why you stick around besides the thing on your left uh, yes. hand. Right, yeah, right? Yeah, um, responsibilities. Right, responsibilities. Because, <laughs> yes. um, well, I mean, it's not all always the case though because you did you did get married and work at another clinic but we'll get to that point so um yeah i I think the whole thing's perspective right right you know so i mean people hear a lot of what ben and i say and it's you know again Mm -hmm. of course katie's part of the leadership team so you know we have meetings every two to four weeks so i mean we've been on the same page for quite some time but i think when we were down at michigan state well that i was just gonna say that is that you know we were down at michigan state you know and at the awards gala you know it was like you basically said on stage it was like you know i kind of just got threw a rock at you and it's like we need to do this you know so it's uh you know, a little bit on that perspective where, you know, Ben and I primarily just me make things sound great all the time, mm. you know, but Here we you go. Know, I, at least the first several episodes I didn't, because I think talking about problems within the profession, a lot of that actually, while I did most of the monologue, most of the dialogue on that in mm. the first several episodes, it was really sort of shared conflict that both you and I had within the profession. And I think now that we're kind of at a part in the podcast where we're talking about culture, um, talent, and then corresponding to that core values. And now we're calling our education system. We're kind of at, I don't want to say an impasse, but we're a little bit of a crossroads, Mm -hmm. you know, to say we are sort of from a podcast standpoint, we're starting to get outside of what we would see within our education system because we pretty much fleshed that out. Mm -hmm. Um, And now we're going to be kind of making that transition over into tackling at least theoretically in some process, you know, some some process, um, the actual service bubble. And, you know, I mean, culture and service both touch on public relations and, uh, of course, what we have listed as process. But I think, um, you know, a kind of readjustment or a focus back on the perspective of kind of what these major problems are for transitioning from culture and core values. It's, you know, not a complete recap of where we are and here we are, but uh, where we were, here we are. Um, Now it's just a matter of like, you know, how did your roles play into a lot of that? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and if you look at the transition from the right side of the industry overview to the left side, like it's not to say that you all of us weren't involved in the development of the right side, right? But it's the the senator, right? Is like more of the cultural type guy, is the why guy, and then uh, in clinic and practice that we have when it comes to process. Uh, most of the time we look towards you, right? We look towards how do we do this? Well, right. What am I supposed to do? Uh, and then from a public relations standpoint, you handled that for years. Yeah. So it is actually a good kind of a bridge over to the other side. So we're going to do our best. It's really difficult because we're used to just talking at each other. Yes. We're going to do our best to be quiet. I will try to talk as much. (laughs) Which has already happened for the first five minutes. I mean, there's that. It's okay. (laughs) We're going to do a spotlight on Katie and then just actually (laughs) railroad the hell out of it. (laughs) 
I did actually feel a little bad about that because I was listening to episode 17 and it was like we had Annie on as kind of like our highlight <laughs> for, you know, that episode. And it's like, let's just talk over her. Annie, what do you think? And then it's like four sentences. Let's talk for 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it's, it's, you got to avoid that dead air. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, sure. basically, uh, I, we can start wherever you wish, but, uh, I know that there are a lot of people out there that would be curious, essentially, what was the, 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 the synopsis of the road that got you to, to this point? Oof. I don't know how far back you want to go. I mean, right. Well, I, yeah, I guess it would depend on to, to this point. I mean, there was a lot of, I mean, from schooling to just, uh, workplace, uh, different workplaces and, and then to eventually deciding to, uh, purchase our own clinic and here we are. Mm -hmm. Um, but sure I'll go back. Um, is it the prototypical, like I loved animals? No, I am the antithesis of (laughs) every veterinarian. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cliche. Yeah. 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 I actually grew up on a hobby farm and the last thing I wanted to do was like live in the country and be a veterinarian. I wanted to be, there was, I had, I knew it was, I was going to go into something science. Um, at one point it was, you know, a a medical doctor, an MD. Um, I was sitting in, (laughs) I, um, they called them freshman seminars. My Mm -hmm first year in undergrad Mm -hmm. and basically it was to explore different career paths within um the different sciences yeah and 80 percent of the students there raised their hands that they were pre-med and i was just like i'm not going to school with you people for the next eight years it's not happening nice so i took that seminar for all it was worth and actually like kind of paid attention to different careers um And even though, and I thought, um, and that's when I actually toured the small animal hospital and the large animal hospital at the University of Minnesota Mm -hmm. um, and got a much different perspective on veterinary medicine, um, I would say my primary interests were research more than anything Okay. um, in in undergrad. Mm -hmm. And then once I, uh, my fourth year of, undergrad I actually had uh, teamed up my undergraduate research mentor was one of the large animal surgeons at the vet school Um, and so clinical even applying to vet school clinical research was really my Mm -hmm. interest and you got a biology undergrad yes so it was definitely like could have gone heavy white lab coat right let's solve some some uh, science, science problems. Right. Let's, let's do some science. Let's do some science, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. So then so at some point you were like, all right, I guess I'll go be a Spartan now. Well, mostly for in-state tuition. Oh, there's that. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was like, hmm. 
Yep. Yeah. So in-state tuition yeah. brought me to Michigan State. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, though, I mean, I think that's a driving force for a lot of veterinary yeah. right. students, especially oh, yeah. in today's world. Yep. Like, I actually, to even give that advice to, say, an undergraduate or even a high school student who's interested in the veterinary profession, it's like you have to go in-state. Yeah. I mean, unless we get to a point that there's a significant reduction in higher education expense, there really isn't yeah. a reclaimable ex uh, a reclaimable debt load in most of the jobs that you're going to be able to get in our country. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not just saying in the veterinary profession as a whole, but it's, you know, even into, you know, some liberal arts degrees and some of those other ones, it's like it's, it's becoming more and more difficult. And it's not a platform, of course, to discuss why or the potential solutions to that. But, you know, again, that level and to make the decision making. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. Yeah, it's I mean, the reality. It was, yeah, it was because Michigan State was not the only vet school I got into. I mean, it mm -hmm. was the deciding factor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew but it from goes, birth. Right. That's where I was I going. Know. I mean, you, that green right. and white. you're from that kid. Yeah. You're from yeah. that area. Uh, you were that kid. Yeah, well, to a certain degree. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, even even way back in the day, my brother never let me play Mario as like because that was when the NES came out. Luigi's green and white. You know, uh, so I was like, this works for me. I don't want to be Mario. Look at Luigi. I'm going to be a Spartan one day. I don't. I'll play that. You know. So so <laughs> anyway, I never had a Nintendo. Yeah. So <laughs> it wasn't an issue. Katie grew up when the TV yeah. went snow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. As we refer yes. to. Yes. So, all right. So, yeah, and that so that's it's interesting, and we'll we'll start to tie some of like how it relates to the center section of our industry overview. Right. And that's a big point, right? Debt to income Debt ratio, to income ratio yeah. directly yeah. related to that. So, yep. you made an educated decision on where you want to go to school um, based on the variables that were in front of you. End up at Michigan State at the CV at their CVM, and yep. then then what? Sure. Um, I mean, vet school was. School, kind of, yeah. I mean, it was it was the fairly, typical veterinary experience uh, yeah, at the kind time. Kind of uneventful, to be perfectly honest. Um, from a like true school standpoint, um, but I did had the had some unique opportunities as that that I really feel helped to um, shape some of my interests. And Ben, you had mentioned one of them, so. Um, I was selected from Michigan State to do a um, week-long foreign animal disease training um, at Plum Island. Mm -hmm. uh, and, well, part of it was at Cornell in mm -hmm. New York, and then we spent a, two days on, on Plum Island. But it was essentially one student from each of the vet schools in the country. Oh, Wow. Okay, mm -hmm. I didn't realize it was one from each. Mm -hmm. So you so you had that pl uh, context. Plum Island is was is a landmass off of New York State, correct? correct? Yeah. In the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. That was a Pacific. Or no. no, no, Atlantic. Atlantic. Sorry, yep, that's all right. Yep. Geography. I'm like, gotcha. Wait a minute. Veterinarians. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no. Um. So that it was, and then what? So what happens happened? Because it's, it's not open anymore, correct? Right. So, so what, what happened at Plum Island? Yeah. So that's where they did all of the foreign animal disease um, research and some of the some of the testing. And so the um, while we were there, we actually got to see animals infected with diseases that currently do not exist in the United States. Okay. So um, things like um, heart water in sheep. Um, foot and mouth disease in a couple different species. Uh, yeah. Interesting. At that, at that point, um, high path avian influenza hadn't made it to the U S so yep. we saw that, but 
That's crazy. Yeah. And then oddly enough, after that trip. Stop <laughs> <laughs> it. <laughs> and that, so that. Somebody didn't wash their hands. That yeah. facility run by the CDC. No. Cur- no. No, that is, that's a USDA, but or then USDA. Okay. getting out there, mm-hmm. it was um, through Homeland Security. Homeland Security actually was in charge of like all the ferries. Mm-hmm. Um, they washed your hands for you, basically. No, it is a, so, <laughs> so that those type of invite that type of laboratory is what they call a shower in, shower out. Yeah, right. And so you um, go into a locker room, disrobe completely go into another room where you get your clean clothes and put all clean clothes on. And we were talking, I mean, yeah. underwear and everything. Yep. Um, and then the, and in then, between those two spots, they have just a guy with a fire hose. <laughs> 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 then when you're done, it is, yeah, completely disrobe, shower. Um, I, was, I wore glasses at the time, so the glasses had to go into, like, a cleaning solution while you showered. Yeah. And then you made your way back to the locker room where your clothes... Right, right. Where you're back out into the real clothes. world. Right. Because it was, it was a completely sterile... I mean, we talk about sometimes about, like, maintaining a sterile field. Right. Like, that is the sterile field. <laughs> <laughs> the island. Right. Which is now... That facility moved to central Iowa, I yeah, believe you said. middle of the... I mean, you know, Country. middle of the landmass. Yeah, it's the Midwest. There's not that many people around. <laughs> so, uh, so that was a part of veterinary school. Yes, that was okay. one uh, during a break, I think. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't remember if it was between first and second or second. Must have been between first and second year. Mm-hmm. So you had that. You had the mentorship experience, different from uh, Dr. Riolo. Yeah. So I actually. We um, did get, I believe it was an email, um, and they had <laughs> Katie's first email <laughs> in college. Yes, yes. You my, make you mm-hmm. make the jokes for yourself. I just I reiterate them. By this time, I'm on to my like second actual email address. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good because I had my undergrad one, and then I got a new one in vet school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so we're at number two. Yep. Um, talking about the mentorship program, and they basically paired you with uh, alumni of CVM. Mm-hmm. And so I got actually probably the ideal like partner because he, um, Dr. Larry Judge, um, he had worked in mixed animal, predominantly large animal, and then had gone on to get um, in to go into epidemiology. Mm-hmm. And so he, um, you know, I kind of got to see a little bit of his current work, but then he would take me to the practice that he had practiced at um, and show me some of the um, surgical stuff and then his family had a dairy farm so he would take me out to do large animal work and and things like that just a whole lot of stuff yeah just experience your exposure to Mm -hmm. all of it just like a like a like basically what our we try to do with our mentorship program (laughs) yeah but probably not written down in any way shape or form no and it was just here's all the things it was just him right yeah like what he kind of had to offer it was everything he could expose you to mm-hmm. he was just you were just blessed with the fact that it was a wide range of things yeah for those that are listening and may not have the, the experience uh, what is epidemiology 
<laughs> also, I don't know what that means. <laughs> yes. I'm assuming that it's infectious so, disease. It's so, the, well, it's, it's the, the study, study of, um, right, where basically where a disease and, had, or, and or outbreak had started. Gotcha. Yeah, it's like the, yeah, it's not just like how you understand the disease. It's more of like the spread. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. So if you've ever played the board game Pandemic, like, <laughs> which is an amazing board game. <laughs> Uh, but the idea is it's like whenever you hear of like, you know, so not to completely jump ahead, but one of the things that um, you had worked on then later, once you got to vet school, oh, was yeah. the Peter Pan peanut butter. Um, that was salmonella, right? Yeah. Yeah. Salmonella contamination. Tephemerium. So it's like, yeah. Tephemerium. So where did it actually start? All these people are getting sick. There's recalls that are then issued on this particular food. So it's more of like the study of the spread of disease or the mm-hmm. transition of disease. Um, and that's it. That that's yeah, essentially what yeah. it means. So it's more the study of the movement than it is anything else. Gotcha. But also understanding in understanding the movement, you do have to understand the organism yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. and the hosts and yeah. in what environments the organism does well in and what environments does it not do well in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On and on and on. A lot yeah. of stats. So yeah. Right. yeah. So you have, and I think that was one of the things, at least for me personally, that was off putting from public health and epidemiology was like, I don't get me wrong. I like math, but I would have struggled significantly in that being like the basis, you know, of, of a lot of it. So it's some, it, I don't want to say it's theoretical math, but there are, there's at least a really strong statistic component to mm-hmm. it. Yep. And that, so, again, tying it to the center, though, right? Yep. We go into, where is it? Where is it? It's near, uh, it's got to do with our at-risk households and failure of population control, right? Yep. Right. We'll get to it. Yeah. But that's a big influence on that portion. Right. So, all right. So, lar- I heard large animal epidemiology. Like, you had this big widespread yep. experience then- in three years of vet school? Four years? It's a four-year curriculum, it's, but it would yeah. have been yeah. the first couple. Yeah, yeah. 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 Honestly, those because because once those you get past year things two, were really mostly in the first two and a half yeah. years. Yeah. So you're just slamming in all the experience. Yeah. But you were also doing research in that time. Well, I did, but it was that was just the one summer, and it was mm-hmm. bad. Mm. All the mice died, and then the research project <laughs> was over. <laughs> hey, so. sometimes it's about what you know that doesn't work. Right. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess. And then the last part was volunteering for um, like spay neuter, mm-hmm. big spay neuter weekends and even trips. So took one trip out west to spay and neuter. And this was cats and dogs um, in, un- in an underserved area. Mm-hmm. And the trip to Montserrat, that was that was fourth year. So going to Montserrat, which is an island in the West Indies. Thank you. Volcanic island in the West Indies. Interesting. Um, And that trip was one small animal clinician, one large animal clinician, and a certified veterinary technician um, or veterinary nurse, and seven vet students all in, we were in our clinics, um, our clinical year, Mm -hmm. and we did spays and neuters and vaccines and also went in and out and did dewormings and some um like horse i think i was not i didn't get to do any horse neuters but i think they did one or two Mm. out in the field as as well so like all of the wellness castrations that we talk about yes in a foreign land right and you're just in just high volume 
Yep. Mm-hmm. So yes. it's like, hey, yep. I got to figure this out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Problem well, solved. And they didn't, they're really, at that point, um, wasn't a veterinarian like on the island. Oh. And how many people so roughly the, live there? A, at that point, about. 3,000 to 3,500. Okay. Um, in the early 90s, the volcano act, like exploded, mm-hmm. um, knocking basically knocking out the more prosperous part of the island. And so I believe it was about two-thirds of the population just left and never came back. Interesting. Um, but it continued to be a vacation spot for some wealthy people, which mm-hmm. is how we ended up there. Yeah. Uh, and... Yeah, but then, so really drastic, dif- very big differences between these, like, very beautiful vacation homes that we would, and one that we actually got to stay in, mm-hmm. and then as we drove through Montserrat and the kind of tin buildings that right. people lived in. Right. Like, if you drive through Mexico now, right. as soon as you hit the beach, it's amazing. Right. Everything in the center is kind of rotten. Not beachfront. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think you know, um, to kind of look at those kind of big, big type experiences. Yeah. I mean, we start to it's say a it's, it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. Yeah. I had a college experience too. Right. I didn't do anything near Close any of that. those things. Yeah. I yeah. showed up and left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. But when you you know when you again you, we look at saying you know our of course our our uh, you know experiences kind of shape who we are. Mm-hmm. I mean, we kind of took it the one step further and saying like, okay, we did these things as very inexperienced individuals. Right. You know, one vet, one vet, one nurse. And and then a bunch of, you know, veterinary students effectively were doing a huge portion of this job. That's when we start, again, to kind of get into the process side, because, again, this is kind of transitioning us over to give context to that. It's like, look at the stuff we're doing from a shelter engagement standpoint, right. mm-hmm. you know, to then also pull that process into actually in-house management to say, no, we really do have to start to serve our failure of population control. There's no reason why we can't treat some of these basic services as basic services. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think where we've gone as a profession, at least not want to say in all of our businesses or all of the business owners, is that to then start to take these very basic services and charge them as high end services. Right. That's the failure. So if we're saying that we're doing it at the graduate level in these underserved areas and, you know, why can't that equate out into really serving where there is local need? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the perspective that those types of trips give is it's like, man, you know, like if we can, you know, we talk about vaccine clinics or you talk about, you know, low cost spay neuters and so on and so forth. It's like, you know, charge enough to keep the lights on you know, and really do a better job at serving the community as a whole. Um, and I think that's, again, when we start to talk about what we have done from fixing ourselves to, you know, stepping out of ourselves to step out of the exam room, to step out of the clinic and step into the community. It's these types of thoughts is that we have these experiences to show us we really do have a skill set that very few people have, and we should be using that power to help the community as a whole. And the we being veterinarians. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah, nurses and but I think right, right. Yeah, and not I, just you two. No, not just right, us two. Right, right. Yes, right. yes, yes, yes. Our our profession as a yes. whole has these, right. um, and I think even to that end, um, you know, breaking it out into, of course, all the people within our support staff that help sort of the machine run, mm-hmm. you know, is is valuing all of that, but understanding that we're serving the greater good in doing so. Right. Right. 
uh, uh, what are the, that's the, the 30,000 foot view, right? Yes. Like understand the way that yes. you fit into the system. Exactly. Uh, the way that you tend to think all the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's actually, it's kind of hearing Katie talk about these experiences. I mean, those are all the things that run through my mind. I'm like, oh, well, of course, to me, it's just instinctive. Like, oh, we had these, you know, uh, three week experiences or whatever else. And I actually, I shouldn't even say we, uh, I don't think I ever engaged one of those aside from I had a three week uh, stint at a humane society where all we did was just spay, neuter, spay, neuter, spay, neuter, spay, neuter. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the same idea, of course, um, you know, to serve the community. But um, but yeah, that's the stuff that runs through my mind is it's like it's the foundation of public service, essentially. Right. You know, and, that, and even if you're doing it on the private scale where it's like, oh, in my clinic, I am doing these services as you still are serving the community as a whole, as long mm-hmm. as you have an affordable and an available uh, service. And that goes directly towards what we're going to probably finish the conversation <laughs> with, yes. right, is the center of our core values yes. yeah. and how this all kind of works together. So, mm-hmm. so you go through a whole lot of cool stuff. Well, yeah, I, I, well, I was doing all of that cool stuff, but to be perfectly honest, mm-hmm. veterinary school, um, as, as a school, I became a bit disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. And so as a alternative to veterinary medicine, I, the summer between my second and third year of vet school that Mm -hmm. was when i started my master's in public health uh because the do so i didn't realize those overlapped i knew you had it i did them at the same yeah yeah, did them at the same time yeah um so it was a dual enrollment between you could be going to vet school um at they were only part minnesota so minnesota is where my master's of public health is through Mm -hmm. uh but you had to be in a in Certain partnered, it was certain partnered vet schools, um, and you could uh, do both at the same time. So it was a dual dual degree program, and that was like (coughs) we like internet school didn't really exist that much in that era. Right. It's it's now there's a lot more internet accessible. Where I think some of the listeners may be like, oh well, yeah, that's how a lot of things are. You can do a lot of stuff online, but that was not the case then. Right. Right. To be attending full time university at Michigan State to then you know complete a master's through you know four five states away really was a little bit outside of the normal. For some of the class coursework, uh, you did have to do some of it in person. So when I say I started it, it was because I used that summer vacation to go to their, they, they have like a three week, um, summer school basically and did some in-person coursework. And then I took a vacation from when, uh, during my clinical year to align with those three weeks so that I could again, go and take some in-person coursework and then did, um, some online work, uh, mm-hmm. while I was still in vet school mm-hmm. and then the dual part, I did the, um, epidemiology externship, which counted f- for credits to both my veterinary degree and my public health, um, at the CDC. So that's where my work with CDC, gotcha. I spent six or seven weeks there. So, <laughs> all right. So you're disenfranchised by veterinary school. Com- yeah. Common problem, I would assume. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. It's like the it's like the first like exposure to the hurricane, right? Yeah. Why did you pick public health? 
Well, I honestly, I think it was the research. So my yeah. interest in research. Yeah. Um, it and was, just, there's opportunity right. with that. Yeah. When you, uh, one of the rotations I took in veterinary school, um, uh, his name Dr. Bartlett, I think was his mm-hmm. name. Yeah. Um, he had this, um, three week stint where it was, it was called government and corporate practice. Okay. And so it was like on one hand you have uh, private practice, which is your traditional veterinarian, but mm-hmm. corporate and, and public practice was the entire other half of the profession. So to be a strong contender in the other half of the profession. Now we're talking USDA, FDA, CDC. I mean, what was it? It's like most of the jobs in public health that is, is that I'm trying to, because it's been years since I've thought about this statistic, but it was basically like, is it FDA jobs were like 90 or is it USDA jobs were like 90% of the jobs aren't even filled by veterinarians, but oh, could be, right. it was, it's, it, there's such a huge demand in public practice that people don't even know. So we're talking slaughterhouse inspections to a lot of this really should be done by a veterinarian. It's to, you know, have your DVM and then also have masters in public health on top of it. You're a really strong contender in public health and in gotcha. the public side. So it's the other half. So you may have where like the government and corporate practice, okay, fine, your traditional government and corporate practice job may end up being like, oh, I'm a research vet at, well, at the time it was Pfizer, now it's Zoetis. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I'm going to be a research vet at this corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where it was like, you can kind of track into that direction. So saying, well, I'm not, I don't really have much interest in, in private practice, but I'm, you know, between the research and everything else to move into the public side to have the masters, it's like, well, now you're even that much higher uh, i should say that much more uh sought sought yeah, valuable yeah valuable. Well, and, increasing value. and that was the beginning mm-hmm. of the one health movement so the oh, right. veterinary medicine and human medicine um coming together just you know just to say um that when we look at medicine it's not necessarily veterinary medicine over on the left hand side and human medicine over on the right hand side um because 75% of emerging infectious diseases are zoonotic, which means that they can be passed you know, from animals to humans. Hmm. And so, um, and very often animals are the sentinels for those, those diseases. Uh, probably the, first. the mm. yeah. best example of that is um, uh, West Nile virus that hit the United States um, in 1999. Yeah, and it was, it was actually a, yeah. It was actually a veterinarian at a zoo in New York that recognized that there were more birds dying than normal and got it tested and realized that West Nile virus was then in the U.S. And then it spread across the U.S. And I actually was working um, at the um, barn crew at the large animal um, hospital in Minnesota in undergrad as, as that virus was kind of sweeping from east coast to west coast and uh saw a couple of horses hospitalized neurologic cases crazy mm-hmm. yeah we used to get, i remember when we were in veterinary school that was like always a rule out between triple e and um west eastern, nile yeah yeah eastern equine encephalitis yes um so that actually it was kind of funny to me because what was it like three months ago four months ago triple e had come out in the news yes and i was just like were we talking about this like 15 years ago? <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm like, that was like one of our rule outs when we were in vet school. Like yeah. how are people just hearing about this now? And it's like, oh, well, cause that's how it works. The it's case, right. It the, ebbs and flows. Dep- again, it depends on your, uh, so they're, they're, those are mosquito borne 
uh, Both illnesses. Yeah. And yep. so a lot of it depends on your mosquito population and mm-hmm. the climate and weather patterns that year as far as, you know, how, how prevalent the virus is going to be. Yeah in the mosquitoes and then how prevalent the mosquitoes are going to be and how easy it's going to be to transmit from animal to animal. Yeah. So when you start to kind of merge those two ideas where it's like, you know, I, I, I and that's uh, epidemiology. That's epidemiology. <laughs> yeah. Guys, we're learning. Yes. I'm learning. Yes. yes. It's, it is fascinating. Like, and I, I think part of, um, now again, not to bring it back to the game pandemic, which is an amazing board game <laughs> and they have a lot of expansions. Katie's all like uh, masters of public health. We're on yeah, board, game. board games. Yes. No, but honestly, Related. like to, no, the, the thing that <laughs> I love about that game is that it does at its core have, you know, right. a disease spread, you know, part to it. And I think that is, I think that's what I find fascinating about epidemiology in general is that there is an actual science to it. Like it's testable. It's, you know, measurable that to me i think is fascinating in preparedness so one of the things i was really interested in was disaster response preparedness so part of disaster preparedness actually um, is our tabletop exercises where it's almost like a a script and a game and everyone has to do their part and and that's to help identify okay where are the holes where you know this is our plan where are the holes right yeah it's D D. For avian flu, yes, precisely. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I remember actually on that government and corporate practice we had while we were in Lansing. One of the things was actually to the disaster response like unit, and it was like they're like that's where the governor sits, and that's where you know. So we're in like this whole room, and they're like, "Yep, we run drills." And I'm like, "You have what now? Yeah, (laughs) you do. Yeah, huh?" Are we about to are we about to put armor on? Yeah. And swing swords? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Who here is chaotic neutral? Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. chaotic neutral. They just don't realize it. Uh, yep. <laughs> anyway, moving on. So <laughs> anything else? I mean, we're, you're you're talking a four year span where you're covering a lot of bases. Did you did you get the MPH at the same time that you graduated from veterinary school, or did did, did that go after? So no, because I still had so my first year I in practice. Like your first year in practice, yeah. I um, was one of two vets in a rural practice, mm-hmm. mixed animal. So I was I was the sole doctor on every Monday. Well, and I, on it's, call. first year out of school, and then and then I was on call, and then Thursdays were my day off. Yeah. But then I shared every other day, every other weekend on call. Yeah. Um, but it's even it's it's but it's the it's the traditional young vet into an existing one doctor practice. So it's what we talk about, not necessarily from an antiquated business model standpoint, which is definitely an antiquated business model standpoint. But a part of it is like just getting tossed to the wolves, where it's yeah. like, okay, I need to hire myself a young vet because when I hire myself a young vet, no problem. I will definitely show you the job, young vet. Come into my clinic. I'll show you the ropes. Sign on the dotted line. See a vacation. Right. It's like I'm, I'm off I'm, to Hawaii. I'm, yeah, for I'm taking, a month. yeah. Well, I meant I would train you when I came back in three months. <laughs> I just I'm need a break time first. Off. Yes. Yeah, and that was I remember that was like you're like like. Oh well. Yeah. What I started in I started July. Uh, and, and I, I really liked my first boss. She was nice and I get it. She was, she was exhausted because she had been run, she had been working that two doctor practice by herself for years at that point. So I, yeah, oh yeah, no, it's not malicious. No, no, it's like, I need a break. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she did, she she came down to, uh, the Wisconsin veterinary conference. So I started July, Mm -hmm. she came down to Wisconsin veterinary conference, you know, for 
that half week or whatever it was leaving me just on my own and then uh in january she went down to the one in florida and yeah. they did take a family vacation so i think they were gone like 10 days yeah and you were running on call too oh yeah it, was it just wasn't me. just the eight to five day no. shift in it doing vaccines no. it was uh-oh something I was, went south. i was fortunate there was another um solo large animal practitioner that uh I was able to call in case of an emergency. It's like and, a neighboring practice. Did. Yeah. It's kind of overlap territory kind of thing. I did have to call him once for a uh. tough dystocia, but. But still, it was, I mean, it, you, you've now cited a few different things where it's like, all right, plop. <laughs> right. Yep. You're in the middle of it. Figure it out, which yep. can be uh, absolutely stressful a little yeah. bit. I mean. Yeah. You figured it out. Figured You're it still out. here. Yeah. yeah, I think that honestly speaks to um, our skill set in particular, um, and I think that's why we work so well together. Is because like, yeah, it's stressful and it'll break you in half, but it's also kind of like, well, what else? Right. right. You know, what are you gonna do? You know, and it's um, you know, I think to that end, um, that's what we try to bring forward when we bring our mentees in, um, you know, to our organization, into the education system, and even our new employees. Um, you know, I think we had uh, recently. I just gotten feedback uh, from a staff person earlier this week where in our mentorship, I'm sorry, in our education system, we have the four tiers. Tier one is the first 40 hours, and then the first three months is, um, you know, basically the um, uh, basic training. What she was saying was that she was like, you guys need to have more one-on-one -on -one training before you before these people start to do their job um, full time, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm like, I'm like, no, I definitely appreciate that feedback, you know, because if you need more training, you need more training. I was like, but you realize that in our profession, there's like no training anywhere, <laughs> you know, like for the most part, it's like you're just going to start working here. And as you have problems, we're going to address those problems. It's kind of like, that's what we were trained on. Like, you know, even for me, when I started my first ER job, it was like, you're the, you're, you're it now. Right. You're day one. And it's right. like, well, I mean, who, who, if I have problems, can I call? They're like, well, uh, another vet will be here in the morning. So just, just keep get it out there, kid. Yeah. So it was kind of the same thing with Katie. It's like, you know, well, when I'm on call or the you know, boss is taking a trip or what am I supposed to do? It's like, well, just get out there, kid. You know, uh, so, you know, that's where we kind of, you know, we kind of say like, you know, we want to be the last people to fall on our swords. You know, I mean, a part of it is like we've learned so much over the years and we have so much to bring forward from so many different perspectives. It's that mentality exactly where it's like, well, we're just going to have to figure it out. I mean, that even goes back to my first job um, in undergrad. I had a job at a small animal clinic in St. Paul as a veterinary assistant, and I worked every other weekend. And then on, they were not open 24 hours, so they closed at 8 p.m. every night, but they had hospitalized patients and they did boarding. Mm -hmm. And so I would go in and do all the treatments and uh, feed all the animals and let them go out to um, go to the bathroom and all that stuff and clean up after them. Um, and then I would sleep there mm -hmm. and in case there was a problem. Right. Uh, and I was supposed to have 40 hours of training before that first shift. And I pretty much went in on like a Saturday and then like, okay, we'll see you on Thursday. I'm like, <laughs> okay. No experience. 
Really? No, zero. zero. Zero small animal experience. I, I grew up on a hobby farm. Perfect. Yeah. Five days. Yeah. <laughs> Checklist item <laughs> done. Yeah. You know. You know. yeah. And, it's, no, and that was, was actually when I started. Um, so I think what uh, she's touching on is, is not necessarily that we are all all run professions are broken promises, no. but like my first job was, all right, kid, jump out there. You're the ER doc now. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, uh, uh, we maintain friends now, at least, uh, at least in some capacity over the years, but, um, a girl that, uh, who was my overnight technician, it was also her first week. So it's like, it was like basically her and I after midnight, it's like, we're just gonna have to figure it out, you know? And it's like, you know, and it would still be one of those where, you know, she didn't, she wasn't too competent on the phones. And like at that time I was sold the idea of, oh, well after midnight, just go to sleep unless something comes in. So like some of those nights I would go to sleep because there wasn't any patients in house or anything. And she'd be like kicking the bed, like, wake up. I got a question. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, don't you have an answer? I'm like, I don't know. Just tell them to come in. You know, it's like, you know, so it's like these were, you know, I think what happens because Dr. Kenny actually has a similar experience where it's like, you know, you're sort of given this idea. It's like uh, of, of you're taking on a job or you're taking on a responsibility and you have this idea of, oh, well, I was told this and I was told that. And then you start the job and it's like, well, we just needed to just sign the paper and start. So, right. I mean, yeah, we'll do that. Um, you know, so which again, in some circumstances, it, I, I would like to think in most circumstances, it's not malicious. It's just a complete lack of infrastructure. And that's yeah. the entire hexagon that is service. There's just a lack of infrastructure. So if you don't have a deliberate training mechanism, right. if you don't have a deliberate onboarding mechanism, mm-hmm. if you don't have a deliberate performance review mechanism, it's like, well, the people who should be training don't have really any uh, criteria by which they are being upheld on effective on how effective they are at training. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, we well, are going to show this person what to do. And it's like, okay, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's just this whole lack of infrastructure on these antiquated business practices and why we focus so heavily on in-house training is it's like, we can't have that. We can't have someone coming into the organization where they are under the impression they're going to be getting X amount of training, and then it's just the rug is completely slipped, you know, pulled out from underneath them. Right. And you would like to think that it's not individually specific. Like you'll have some of it does come down to confidence, where it's like, well, we have a forty-hour and a three-month process of training, and this works for the majority of our people. And someone's like, well, you know, my hand in hand hand holding needs to be for three months. I can't have just forty hours a week. Mm-hmm. So then it kind of becomes this back and forth on sort of, you know, like how much time are you investing in the individual? Are they performing to the capacity that you need them to? And I think, again, that's where it kind of comes back to when you start talking about this lack of infrastructure. It's just, it's not there. So yeah. for us to talk about our core values to all, you know, the 19 podcasts before this, it's basically just trying to hammer down an infrastructure, mm-hmm. but it's infrastructure on culture management and uh, sort of the onboarding and performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of experiences like that, like, all right, right. see a kid. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I wish I would have had a bit more, right. you know, <laughs> wish it was better. You know? Maybe uh, I should have paid more attention. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> well, and that was kind of my thing, you know, so I mean, not, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, uh, what do all the kids use these days that, that veterinary information network, oh, you know, the yeah. VINs, uh, you know, so veterinary information network is basically just that it's a network of uh, everything from conference proceedings to then all the way down to just forums. So mm-hmm. it's like people just talking about stuff or you can shoot questions to specialists or so on and so forth. But basically what it becomes is I think the veterinary profession has nicknamed it the hive mind.
mind, whereas you just post this stuff or you try to do quick searches and you try to find whatever you want for answers. In my day, it was like, well, yeah, I wish I would have paid more attention in class, you know, or I wish I would have paid more attention on this. But ultimately, I think what we learned was process. Mm -hmm. We learned how to critically think about something and get to it. And that's why my library at work is so big. I mean, I got probably 30 different books on the shelf. Maybe more than that. Yeah. yeah. And for me, it's like I know a lot of the content of those textbooks simply because I've been thumbing through them for 15 years. Right. It's not because yeah. you sat down and memorized <laughs> yeah. them. It I mean, was the first, the first month and a half before my job, I did. Well, there's there, that. <laughs> there was one book. I'm like, I at least need to know what is where, you know, <laughs> I'm like, I need to at least study the table of contents hard, <laughs> you know, like, so I know what page to jump to. Right. Um, but you know, again, I think that's where when we kind of, you know, talk about just, Hey, get out there, kid. A lot of it, I think is it, it touches upon, you know, for Katie and I, it's trying to problem solve who we are to compare it to these veterinarians who now have the coin term of, uh, uh, what is it now? Imposter syndrome. There we go. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, where there's this, and this is again coming into the talent category, this loss of self-worth between hierarchy, you don't know anything, to deteriorating skill set, I didn't learn anything, you know, and to then really say, you know, this is, you know, and I'm not saying I have the solution to imposter syndrome. All I'm saying is that for us, it's like you get out in those first several years, you just feel like you don't know anything at all. You know, I've been practicing 15 years and I'm like, how is it that I keep learning every single day? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's where is it, we kind of talk about the Lego math, the Lego blocks, and you just keep building the <laughs> Lego city. Um, that's sort of this discussion <coughs> right. is, you know, for us to just like get thrown out there, kid, you know, let's just do this. It's like, how can we institute that into tomorrow's generation to be like, well, yeah, I mean, everyone's an imposter in some capacity. You know, fake it till you make it, you know, but it's, if you you do it in a very deliberate way and you have the mentors around you and you have infrastructure around you, there really is then not really going to be an issue with imposter syndrome because you're supported the entire time. Right. Um, and that's, I guess, what we're trying to bring forward is just this thing where we were tossed into our jobs because that's what it was. There was no infrastructure then and there's no infrastructure now, mm -hmm. you know, so it's like getting thrown in there. We're trying to bring those tools forward on, you know, the core values and education system process and ultimately public relations. But it's those types of experiences that show us, well, we don't want other veterinarians or nurses or medical support or um, you know caregiver support we don't want people in our organization to feel that mm -hmm. so again we're the last ones to fall on our swords right so long story yes. long yeah long story long <laughs> so that was your so your first job out of vet school was at the mixed animal practice yep. just like boom like figure it out kid here we go so you do that for a year a year and and then what we got married <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> then it's like, crap, now I have to live with you. Yeah. Yeah. Eh, kind of. Yeah. He was working nights and weekends. Right. So I have, I have to it's share the same abode as you. Right. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, we'd see each other for. But yeah, you were night shifting it and yep. you were day shifting it. Yep. So once. Um, Done with large animals. Yeah. Well, and once I convinced him that I wasn't moving back to Michigan. There was no convincing. <laughs> There was, there was no convincing. It's uh, I'm graduating veterinary school, and if we're going to continue to be together, you're coming with me. <laughs> I, I am not staying in Lower Michigan. That was the conversation. I was like, yeah. well, I guess there's no wiggle room on this one. Fair yeah. enough. It yeah. wasn't happening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so happy wife, happy life. Started applying for jobs. Originally, he you, he wanted a job in Green Bay. Right. They didn't yeah. have. 
this company that owns the Green Bay Emergency Clinic didn't have a job. Their the available job was here, mm-hmm. um, and so then I started applying for jobs in Wausau. Right. Yep. Because you weren't you weren't you weren't night shifting it. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> I had. I was. I was pretty much done with the large animal thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Towards the end of winter, I was out on a farm doing a DA surgery in this cow that didn't need, like, she, it was a poor decision on this farmer's part to go to surgery in the first place, and then he didn't have any hot water, and it was in an empty pole barn, and I was literally so cold, I had a hard time suturing the -hmm. cow closed. Yeah. Um, And I was... I told myself, I don't want to do this for 30 years. Right. Because you're going to have to deal with that well, in large animal medicine. Yes. Right. Too often. Yes. Once feels often enough to the guy that that's never done it. That was pretty much my kind of breaking point. For yeah. the most part, it was, I enjoyed large, large animal, animal practice. Yep. Yeah. The yep. practice. The I, environment yes. was yeah. more of the yeah. lynchpin. I gave it one. zero up. I gave it zero chance. Because yeah, I spent actually three weeks in a stall with a horse. And well, that was the end of it. I, I knew equine medicine was never in the cards. <laughs> I knew that. Um, but no, for large animal, I think it's a very fascinating side of the profession to work in because you do actually, in some capacity, get to use your herd health skills as you would in an epidemiology type circumstance. Mm-hmm. You know, so rather than like in a small animal world where it's like, okay, Mrs. Jones and her one dog, it's like, right. all right, I'm kind of seeing a trend in disease in these three hundred. Mm-hmm. So I think that's also then, you know, kind of a test right. to a herd health, you know, type thing. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't really give it an opportunity. I was like, I, I ran through a few externships and I'm like, I really do enjoy this from a theory standpoint. Yeah. But unfortunately, a hundred percent city boy is having a hard time connecting with producers. <laughs> that was, that was a, a big part of it for me is I'm just like, what did he just say? You know, right. it's like, you know, they just a completely really different vocabulary. Listen, listen through the Copenhagen. Yeah, sure. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> So although yeah. I enjoyed the medicine aspect of it, I yeah. was yeah. yeah right. So I applied for small animal jobs. Uh, I could see area. where you knew he was going to end yeah. up at that point. Right once mm-hmm. he once he had the job here, mm-hmm. and we, um, and then I accepted a job at a corporate uh, practice mm-hmm. in the area, mm-hmm. and I worked there for a year. A year. A year. So Two years out. Yep. At this point. Yep. Yep. Okay. And so, then, so large, large corporates, small office. Yeah. So the the corporate model setup. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. but then the experience that came out of that was what is the corporate response to a drop in uh, the economy? Right. Because that happened all at about the same time. That was the same. That yeah. was the same time frame. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah. it's, you know, to live through that. And then, of course, for me, I'm working the nights and Katie's telling me like, oh, my God, we have to do this. Or, you know, uh, part of it was I think there was a finite order quantity on preventative per month. Right. Yeah. So it, so was, it was just like inventory, inventory, like control. Man- strict inventory yeah. management where it's yep. just like you would go through half your month and run out your total allocated budget for preventative. So you would have to, because 1-800-PET-MEDS, Chewy, none of that stuff existed then. You know, 1-800-PET-MEDS was just starting. I was going to say, yeah. It It was was just starting. It was fresh. Yeah. So it wasn't. Because Amazon wasn't even that big 10, 11 years ago. No, no. Like the whole whole e-commerce model is a new thing. Yeah. So, 
Um, what I'm going to do is while you guys are talking, I'm going to pause this for a second. Work has called us five times each. I think so. it's time to take that call. Yeah. yeah. Du- duty calls. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you work in that practice while the economy falls apart. Yes. So tell me, like, so you had some some strict mandates. Like, what 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 else did you see um, that, or I should say, what else was put in front of you? Probably like, the worst, and this is uh, the worst part of that job. I would have to say was the free first exam. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. It was a thing. You okay. Could clip your coupon. Yeah. And you could come in for your free first exam. Right. And. Ugh. The economy and and the economy was terrible, so yeah. no one had any money. Yeah. So, and I was the new vet who didn't have a solid client base mm-hmm. established yet. Mm-hmm. So, every new client that had their free first exam coupon got scheduled with me. Right. Yeah. Cut your teeth, kid. <laughs> and so I would do the exam, like so I would go through all of that work. And they would have not, no additional funds for any tests. And most of the time, not even for, like, even if it was just a cat with, like, an upper respiratory infection. Right. Couldn't. That needed some eye ointment. Mm-hmm. Couldn't even afford the nothing. eye ointment. Nothing. Nothing. The wallet was empty. It had the coupon in it. Right. And that was it. And so that was... Hard, and then the other part of it was I worked four tens, which was fine. Like mm-hmm. ooh, four four day right. Mm-hmm. Again, because of the economy, I would get there, and I'd start my shift. I, most of my shifts were eight to six. Mm-hmm. I would see a couple appointments in the morning. I would literally sit there and read journal articles, books, whatever, mm-hmm. for several hours during the middle of the day. And then the after work crowd would start calling and I would get a five o'clock and a 5.15 and a 5.30 and have to then, I mean, I was pretty much sitting doing nothing a majority of my day and then staying late at work and not getting home until after seven or eight o'clock at night. So that 10 hour shift became a 12 hour day, but not a very productive 12 hour day. Right. Um, and I actually, when I resigned, um, I was offered, well, if you would like to work part-time hours, a lot of our, par- our veterinarians work part-time hours, so they only have to work a 40-hour work week. Like, that was just expected. Oh, okay. Interesting. So your, your like they offer took- was a 40-hour work week with the expectation of it being a... 48 to 52 whatever in you four know days. and and so it wasn't and they, you know and I maybe it was a misunderstanding as yeah. far as me saying like because I don't if I would have been busy if I would have been seeing patients right for 10 hours and then having to like finish up my day for an hour that I don't have too much of a problem with like yeah. that's a busy and productive day right to sit around and not and you couldn't leave the clinic like mm-hmm. you are at work yeah so oof, that yeah. was that was real tough you just you sit around and wait yeah like, hurry up and wait I mm-hmm. isn't that how that goes mm-hmm. oh yeah yes. so that lasted a year that lasted a year and i was out yeah which um i 
I'm so, I wouldn't have made it that long. I'll tell you that much. So then, so then what? Then well, she likes to hold up contract though. You know, it's like is, are they one year contracts? Yeah, yeah most okay. Of the time. So yeah, that's yeah. Gotcha. So it's, it's holding so up like, your end of the bargain. Yeah, yeah. You didn't you didn't bust anybody with it. Yeah. Right. It's just all right. I'm done. And then uh, my. I actually did apply for a job with the health department here, um, mm-hmm. trying to get an out for that job, mm-hmm. uh, and didn't get the job. And so then I ended up getting a job at another, pro- but privately owned small animal clinic uh, in the area. So when we look at the two outside of my non compete, thank you very much. Yep. Whoop whoop. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So we talk about the the uh, the previous two business models. Yes, like, it's the two big ones. We are the right. third. Right. Yeah. So yes. you were you were yes tradition just right knees deep in the other two. Yeah. Yeah. So what was yeah. different about that one? Yeah, tradition. In, yeah, tradition. Corporate tradition, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's in, it's a little bit more of what you refer to, or what we in the past in podcasts have referred to as like these monument type practices, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, where the idea being that, or at least our idea uh, as uh, business owners is basically, you know, we have the new shoulders on which the future stands. You know, coming from Isaac Newton, you know, saying if I've seen further, it's only because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. So it's, yeah. you know, one of these traditional practices that were um, trendsetters, right? So in the era when this type of practice was started, small animal medicine was on the upswing, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So this yep. would have been into the 80s, mm-hmm. um, you, yep. know, you know, 90s, yep. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a uh, privately owned, mul- this was a multi-doctor small animal clinic, um, like I said, privately owned. And I mean, it was an imp- certainly an improvement from the kind of corporate structure. There was more flexibility. That was honestly, that's what kept me at that job for six years was yeah. flexibility. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and well, plain and simple. Simultaneously, you're starting family. Uh, yes. Yeah. A in the middle years. of those six years. Yeah. 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 I guess, yes, yeah, it would come in the middle of it. But yep. yeah. And that's kind of what we then, you know, what was taken away from that process was local influence. Right. You know, so in saying like, okay, if we as a profession have, you know, kind of a traditional clinic and like the alternative is we're moving into a corporate mindset or a corporate style of medicine, it's how much realistic local influence do we have um, that's, you know, sort of off the books, you yeah. know, and saying like, I'm not saying break contracts and have loose contracts. I'm not saying that, but it's just sort of that humanization element and saying, well, I'm not so tied to policy. You know, a lot of it is giving people the latitude to function within the job, to make mistakes comfortably mm-hmm. and then grow from there. So that's, again, I think what we took away from it. But then, you know, to say, was it always a growth mindset? I think that was one of the one of the hurdles that was very difficult, at least from the outsiders looking in, was maintaining a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's it's okay. I mean, like we said, you move west. You know, uh, some people stay and build a town; other people continue to move west. Um, so it's you know, if you are someone who is going to continue to move west, it you don't have a great fit in staying to build the town. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And so if I know anything mindset. about Katie, she's a problem solver too. <laughs> yes, yes, very. <laughs> Differently much a from you and I. Yes, it's all about the implement. Yes, get it, get it, get it done. Yeah. Right. Perfect so, word, implement. Yes, yes. That, that I think was always a huge thing. Is you were still always actively right. problem solving yep. in that role as much as you could. And I think what Katie and I have 
had happened to both of us is that I, I, I think we've always been very approachable. So a lot of people come mm-hmm. to us with problems and we typically have a solution, you know, and then I think f- one of the struggles was having solutions, but then having them not be implemented. Right. Right. That, that I think was the biggest struggle. You could, you could say this or this, I like this about this job. I don't like that about that job. But mm-hmm. I think when you're a problem solver and you hit a barrier that you yeah. cannot overcome and the barrier is implementation, mm-hmm. then all you have is just dusty solutions. And good, yeah. Right. Just good ideas. Good ideas. Yep. <laughs> That's just where they sit. Yeah. So fulfillment goes down, right? So it's, it's not to say that you can't find aspects of the job fulfilling, Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it's, it's going to challenge your purpose. Why am I here? Mm -hmm. You know, overall well being. if I'm a problem solver and while I do enjoy local influence, but none of my solutions, I don't think they're being heard. I feel like my legs are being cut out from under me or there's undermining or there's just, it's not continuity, you know, there's uh, unnecessary conflict and inefficient process, (laughs) you know, so when we have that sort of inefficiency of process is probably Probably my biggest that kills you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, with Katie's fine chief with of conflict. operations, right? <laughs> <laughs> chief operating officer. Well, the conflict is necessary sometimes. Right. right I mean, right. It, it's it is what it is. Yep. But um, inefficiency. Inefficiency. It's like no. Inefficiency. Why? Kills you. Why are we? <laughs> yeah. Why are we turning a five-minute correction? Yeah. thing into yeah. three days of work right right <laughs> and in both of the structures that you operated in like it's either there's so many other entities that have to be on board with the implementing of a solution where right. it's like this is just there's two two red tape basically right. yeah and then on the other side there's just the barriers of a lack of a growth mindset yeah right. so you have both like you hit both and then yep. I, yep. I both lead to inefficiency, right? Right, you know, in yep. their own right. ways, right? Yep. So you have all of that, and then uh, you know, as your as all of the personal life is just getting you know more and more to what it is, and then this crazy guy comes throws home one day, throws the rock <laughs> in the china shop. I was like, hey, we're we're let's. I want to think about buying this. Yeah, yeah. and like in like the, three to five years. We're gonna we're gonna buy this clinic. Listen, I had to sell her under the easy idea first, and then three weeks later, you own it. It was (laughs) (laughs) that was February. Yeah, yeah, six months. So it was the next December of that year, roughly. No, September. uh, That's not eight months. August. Or that is eight. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So yeah. Well, uh, August twenty eighth was the sell date. Yeah. Her purchase date. Yeah. So yeah. So three to five years turned into not. Yeah, I start because I started having meetings with my previous employers around January, right? Because yeah, yeah. we had several. So you had all of that going on, and you're like you were disenfranchised, and I was in pregnant, school, and you were pregnant. Yeah, yeah that was that was the like, first. That was that was yep. the first the first checkpoint. So the first one was Katie's pregnant. Perfect. We need to buy a clinic now. And right. it's like, are you insane? I am. Because, we've, all, we've established yeah, that one. Because right. we will be the force of change in this profession. <laughs> we have too much that needs to be fixed. I can't stop now. I can't push this off three to five or three to five years. I've thought about it. It's happening now. Mm. And she's like, bought the clinic in August 28th. And our first one was born. September 1st. <laughs> or no, was huh? it the next year? Oh, it was the following. No. What are you talking about? Huh? No, Gaetano. That's right. Yeah, second, yeah he was second July. one. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Second one. Oh so July. I was off. Yeah, and was then off. the purchase happens in yes. August. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. So. I was pregnant. He sorry, told I got me my about years it in, around. Right, in yeah, February. Yeah, yeah. He was born in July. 
bought the clinic Boom. in August. Time to go. Time to go. So all of that's happening in, in you've been like, like honestly, like, and I, this is kind of why I wanted this to go through this because from some, like, especially if it's somebody that doesn't know you, like the reason that these stories are important and why I think, you know, what really reinforces what we push Why we every need to day. humanize Katie. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's part of it. No, <laughs> is like you went through all of this stuff and like uh, pragmatic decisions right. were made, right? You, you, there were limiting variables where it's like, well, I'm just going to do this because it's the right thing to do or whatever it might be, right? Right. And like disenfranchise and like I wanted to maybe go this route, but I ended up going this route. And then you end up in, in practice and it's like trying to suture together a, a post-surgical cow where it's like my hands are freezing and right. like – being thrown to the wolves, um, being a part of a, a massive structure in the middle of a financial breakdown and just seeing how that just sucks and then just being brought into something similar but significantly different, right. similar in inefficiency, similar in conflict, but for completely different reasons. And yeah. it's like, well, crap. Now what? Right. Right. The, the, the stick has shit on both ends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. So yeah. then, like, if I if I were the outsider, because again, I've I've you and I have known each other for a long time. But then my question becomes like, yeah, just because your crazy husband wants to go do this too, why do you want to do this? What else was I gonna do? <laughs> right. I mean, that's part of that's part of it. Right. Yeah. Find a new stick. That's what I'm kind of getting at, right. right? No, that's that's that is the story, right? Yeah, and it's you know again uh, it, because you know like the, that's the other thing is in all of this, I think what you in in um, what we've done with our so not not too, what else was I going to do like. I had no other option. Right, right. You weren't tied down because of just what what Carlo was doing or because right. you were limited experience in other things or whatever it might be. It's just, it, it was, you knew it was the right thing to do. Right. The same, re like, you went through all of this stuff and you're like, I, I yep, I'm just going to grit my teeth and get through it because I know it's the right thing to do. And the I think the reason that that exists and the, the thing that we've, we reinforced early onset, which uh, with our mentee and ultimately led to a significant amount of reinforcement in the industry was... Um, you may not have had a really clear picture of what your strengths were, but as you, as you continue to just, just barrel through and noticing how you were different and yes, we do make fun of it all the time, right. but the differences are where like you found out the hard way that you could develop solutions even if they couldn't handle it. Right. Right. So right. then it's like, okay, I know this is the right thing to do because I'm continuing to get experience and understanding these problems deeper on a multiple level. Cause you actually on a personal level have a better in have better insight into some of these problems than you do. Correct. Uh, because of just physical, there's just uh, proximity to them. Yeah. Right. So you have all of that. You got Mr. Insanity over here that's just like, I want to just fix all of it, right? Like, How are we going to do that? We're just going to do it. We're just going to do it, right? And we so, it, well, and that's the thing. And that's when you when you guys were down at um, Michigan State, that was when you had referred to, you know, two sides of the same coin. You yep. need both sides. Right. Yep. So you, it's, it's not like you're just making decisions because they're like, well, I'm stuck here. I might as well just do it. Right. It's like, no, you, you understand the... The, the strengths that you are able to provide and also the fact that you that's where you're going to operate. It's not like I've never seen Katie jump into something where it's like, I'm going to be shit at this, <laughs> but I'm going to figure it out. Right. Like uh, that. 
that's yeah, uh, that <laughs> leans a bit more in, in my world. It's a part of that, yeah. right? But I have a high level of self worth, so usually for me, I'm like, well, I'm gonna go do this, and I'm only going to succeed at it, <laughs> you know. And then I ignore the times that I don't. And I'm like, see, that other time I did though, you know. Right. But right. That. That was just learning. Yeah, that was just, just learning. learning. That's right. It's just getting better. That's right, Conor McGregor. I don't <laughs> lose. I learn. Oh, uh, so I, I just wanted to circle that all the way around because right. it's 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 an important um, thing because you, uh, as we have referred to in previous episodes for yourself, but it, it's that it's the gift of having hindsight at this point, right? right? Yes. So if if a kid's in school and is just like, man, like this sucks. Like, I don't know why, like, why am I here? Right. right. And that, that ultimately comes down to the thing that you know, I wanted to finish the conversation with is why are you here is I think you've always had, whether it was well-defined or in your gut, a purpose of why you were here. Right. And, and that turned itself into serve the patient. Right. Right. So absolutely. I, I think it was more, more, more the gut than right. ever as well defined as it is now. No, we've put we've put process to it. Right. Yeah, and I th right. I think that's you know again f for the advancements that we made in section one really mm -hmm. of this whole year. Um, and I, yeah, I think from a business standpoint, I mean we've had advancements in over the last few years, but no, I think the amount of clarity that we're bringing forward, not just for ourselves and saying like, oh wow, these are actually attributes that most other people don't have, mm -hmm. but we kind of uh, mirror one another and what we do and don't have, and that just happens to work. Um, I think that's what we've basically put into process. I love how you say it just happens to work. Yeah. <laughs> By years of experience and turmoil, we've really made it work well, yeah. is what you actually mean in that statement. It wasn't just some, oh, this is great. <laughs> um, and it continues to be, I, I mean. Your perspective, Ben. In my brain, I'm like, it's just going to work. It is great. Yeah. I'm just yeah. telling you from an outside because I started as a very much an outsider, yeah. and it like the, the I I've it was like how in the hell does this work? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. a part of, a part of it is definitely like well we just figured it out. Yeah, it's the same as what your work experiences were. Yeah, it's like all right, well, this is what we're doing now because right. this is what we have to do. And yeah, do yeah. we know how to do it perfectly? Nah. No. but we're going to figure it out. Yes. Right. Yes. And that's why, again, into that talent category, the loss of self-worth, I, I would fold in half. I mean, like I said, I, I feel like, I mean, collectively, I feel like we, we both have a high level of self-worth, but mm -hmm. I think that's what was never really taken away from us. And I think that's where we sort of come forward and saying, you know, look at, you know, she knew in her gut, you know, system, you know, systems and pragmatic and movement and then this, and I learned this from this and this from this. It's like, but at its core, it was like, while you may have been frustrated or you may have been upset with one particular employer or whatever it was, it never really affected sort of that base level, you know, right. that internal part. And mm -hmm. I, I think that that's when we start to talk about our, our talent development. Um, that's what we're talking about is saying somewhere in this picture, somewhere in your story as a professional, somewhere in your story, someone took away your self-worth. Mm -hmm. So we are going to do one of two things where they're going to find that and we're going to fix it, or we're just going to leave it behind and say, it's a reality. The reality is you have a loss of self-worth. Mm -hmm. Let's build you up. Let's right. figure out where you can go and what you're going to be good at. And we're going to help you along the way, but you got to be willing to come to the party. Yeah. And, and it, it, it'll it'll you know 
yeah, ebb, oh yeah. And, ebb and flow. Ebb and flow. It's, it's the rubber band. Yeah, right. it's it's the sometimes you're stretched thin, sometimes you're nice relaxed. I mean, right. that's just sort of sometimes you're working fifty hour weeks when you thought it was forties, and you just want to yeah. you just want to scream into the pillow, yeah. and then other days you're just sitting around reading journals, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So uh, I guess you know to to kind of wrap everything up, like you know if it. I don't know what the last question is, to be perfectly sure. honest. I'm trying to come up with it on the fly. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we've, we've, uh, the thing that I really appreciate about the way that you guys have, have, have worked together in the time that I've known you is, is, is the way that we describe the, I have described on accident the way the two sides of the coin work is Carlo gives us the, the why, right? And Katie give us gives us the what to do and how to do it well, right? And that's kind of like, I don't know. That's the that's like the that's I don't it. know how this is gonna work, yeah. but it's right. gonna work sort of thing. Yeah. And with yeah. all of that, like you've got that, you've got the culture stuff, and you've got just this thing that's building on itself at at, at a rapid pace. Yes. Um, yeah, we're expanding on yeah theory and implementation very very quickly. Right. Like yeah. That's. It's also been years and years of work, right? Yes. Yeah, there has been a lot. So now that you're in a place of, I, I mean, comfort, comfort in discomfort, because we always, we are intentionally right. like growing, right? Why? But we know that like, at this point though, we know that growth is good, right? Initially it was like, growth is scary mm -hmm. because we didn't know what we were jumping into. Yep. Yeah. yeah calculated like, risk. <laughs> <laughs> You're just sitting around with the Casio, yeah, just right. banging out the calculator. Yeah. But like, I, I mean, you, you understand, like, cause yeah, we are in absolute 100% like constant growth mode, like right. literally yeah. square footage growing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not even sure, honestly, else. yeah, and I, I don't even know if there is necessarily a perfect question, but I think really what it boils down to is simply showing that, you know, in this podcast to say that there are all these different experiences that, you know, Katie had from undergraduate to graduate to postgrad to first job, second job, right. third job. You know, I think the story there is that you just have to keep moving, right. you right. know, and if you, and again, the growth mindset is one part of it is the business is now growing rapidly on every front. You know, we kind of made the joke. We put 12 irons in the fire and all 12 hit hot, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's time to start swinging. Right. So, you know, a part of it then is, is saying that in maintaining that growth mindset through your career, I think Katie is that perfect story where it's like, you know, wasn't really like a traditional veterinary type student that doesn't necessarily matter because it was still given the context of a growth mindset, right? you know, and saying that really at its core, I mean, while, you know, we make jokes about the D personality and so on and so forth, like at its core, it's a growth mindset, right? you know, it's that it's just that's communicated differently. And, um, you know, I think, again, I don't know if there's a perfect question there, but as we start to look at our transition from the right side of our industry overview over to the left side of our industry overview, mm -hmm. it's really taking those experiences and process. It's taking those experiences and culture, mm -hmm. which again, for me, it's kind of funny that our after action report, my one to do was to listen. Mm -hmm. um, but really that's all I had done for years is I'm like, I'm seeing all this stuff on the after hour side, Katie saying all this stuff on the day practice side, there's got to be a common solution here. And ultimately, that's what birthed our industry overview. But as we make that transition over to process and public relations, now we're talking about 
let's focus on some busted process because mm -hmm. we got a lot of tools in place now to fix culture, to fix core values, to even fix how we're onboarding staff. Right. Now it's boiling down to like, what are we talking about from wellness? What are we talking about from engagement? What are we talking about from, you know, uh, the public health perspective to yep. community engagement? Um, and I think that's the transition is that again, her, her experiences through the years have pretty much always been of a growth mindset. Um, and you have to be able to maintain self worth through that process even when you take your blows, I think we're both scarred. It's a part of who we are, but, um, you know, again, it's, it's transitioning us over to saying, all right, there's still a whole lot of work to be done. Oh yeah. And, and not just from a theoretical perspective. Oh no. It's been from a very real perspective right. of I've, I've seen all of this stuff, whether it was for a week or for six years, right? Like right. you've you've had your hands in all almost all of these things directly, right. and then it was like, all right, here it identified the barriers, and then was like, all right, well, how do we just make something that either breaks those barriers down or gets around them or over them or whatever it is? Right. So, uh, it, it, I guess in terms of the thing that I think could wrap it up, right, is understanding typically who I think listens to these is those that are in school, so you were disenfranchised in school and now very you're, much so right right now you're not right what would you tell yourself in college who she wasn't ready for this That's one folks. Well, actually i have i mean i've thought about it a, a few times um looking back because for a while it was just don't go to vet school i just should have mm -hmm. i yeah. just should have done something else with my bachelor's yep. degree right Stuck because with the, biology and <laughs> Gone somewhere else. The options else. are endless. Um, you know, but now I, you know, again, with hindsight being 2020 mm -hmm. uh, and looking where we're, where we're at, um, all of those experiences ultimately are what gave me the tools to be where we're at today. Right. Um, and so you just got, have to. Yeah, Take talk. each yeah. experience for what it's worth mm -hmm. and move on to the next opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't get stuck. Right. Don't get stuck. That, again, that I think is where a lot of the, once you start to lose that self-worth and you start to lose your mm -hmm. growth mindset, you get stuck. And I think, you know, even to say, it was like, why did we make the jump into this? Katie's like, well, what else was I was going to do? It's kind of actually, like you said, coming from a good place. Right. Where right. it's like, I've actually found... F several other dead ends, mm -hmm. you know, but I still have this idea of right. growth and betterment and maintaining my self-worth. This may be the avenue that we can do that. Right. Um, and now it's just a matter of us giving it away. You yeah. know what I'm saying? We want as many people to have that experience as possible. Right. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for coming to the podcast. Mm -hmm. Again. Again. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to move over into some process time. stuff next week. Process, yeah, that and uh, probably go hexagon by hexagon at that point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you had to pick one, Katie, out of the the six that Carlo put in there, which one? When do you think we should start with? That's a good one. 
I think honestly, just talking just about yeah. service affordability of uh, like <laughs> where service where affordability like the and first thing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, even though I don't want to say that it's going to recap um, the service hexagon again, um, it does on a broad topic kind of reorient ourselves without making people listen to episode three. Uh, so <laughs> seven, yeah, one of those. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose. Um, but awesome. yeah, probably an overview. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Wonderful. Thanks, Katie. Yep. I appreciate it. All right. We'll see you all next week. Have a good one. All right. See you.